You are listening to the Body Charge Podcast, and I'm your host, Sandy Sanderson. Welcome to the Body Charge Podcast. Today's topic is how to change self-sabotaging habits. And I'd like to welcome uh, to our show uh, guest Harmony Quicker, uh, MA. She is a psychotherapist, author, and professor at Naropa University where she teaches transpersonal counseling. She's also the founder of the Institute for Spiritual Alignment, where she trains practitioners to bridge the divide between traditional and spiritual transformation. She is an author of the book, Reveal, Embody the True Self Beyond Trauma and Conditioning. So, Harmony, there, there are great needs for this kind of knowledge in the world we have today. We live in a very disruptive time with mounting pressures and stresses that challenges to the max so that we can sometimes face even existential crises and, and people have really not enough tools or strategies to know how to cope in those extreme kind of circumstances where it feels like the rug is being pulled out from underneath you. All the things you took for granted before, well, that's not relevant anymore. Now you have to reposition and what do you do? You have to throw out a whole bunch of old habits that used to work but don't work today. So how can um, what, what can happen when people can't get over a trauma like PTSD if they really sh something shocks them um, and they then can they develop uh, self sabotaging habits or negative behaviors? Uh, how do they get over it? And some people don't get over it. So so what's the difference? And how do you help people recognize and change their strategy to to um, become more resilient mm -hmm. yeah I, I love the question thank you um, you know I think there's a, a paradox really where um, slowing down is actually essential for our well-being and when our sense of safety is compromised and our world is changing or like you said there's like a loss or the rug is pulled out from underneath us the nervous system response is to speed up and figure it out and to sort of function over the experience that we're having. And um, I believe that learning how to become available for ourselves, for the sensations that we feel in our body, being curious about the way we're responding to life and to our own thoughts um, really requires that we get really present with ourselves and really slow down and allow the experience to move through us until we feel resolved with it. So what often ends up happening is people want to move on, but they still have this unresolved business that they feel incomplete with. And anything that they try to accomplish while there's something unresolved inside of them, they're sort of like trying to create a repair from this previous traumatic experience. Like, trying to create a new narrative or a new life for themselves, but, but being driven by something that's actually incomplete. And so by when these moments happen, like a great loss or a trauma, trusting ourselves enough to really hold ourselves in our experience is a skill to learn. 
right? It's not about a, a skill of communication or a skill of exercise, but like really the, the skill of turning towards ourselves with love and compassion and some spaciousness and allowance and validation for what we're experiencing. So it's kind of like a rest or a pause or turning off that treadmill and allowing, as you said, a form of introspection, isn't it really? So I think what we don't really teach our children enough about balancing. It's always about outward performance and what do other people think and how do I look to other people and what is my social media saying about me? And it's always outward focused and there's not enough inward focus to um, rest, recover, repair, correct things that need to be corrected and, and feeling that you can recover from whatever, feeling that you can put the pieces together and really understand why something happened because if we understand the the puzzle uh, of the issue and what caused it of course we have the tools to correct and fix it and move on but if we can never see what the problem is we're like blindfolded we're on a treadmill and can't get off and so so a lot of people are um really stuck um and there's not enough practitioners out there that that um have even the time i mean the booking rate in australia for a psychologist for psychotherapy is like months and months and months ahead that's mm -hmm. not really catering for what people need so so self-help books and you know videos and trying to take that space and look within and work out yourself um what could be happening and how you might be able to fix it is a great workaround whilst you're waiting for several months to get your first appointment. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the thing where people get really confused is that the thoughts that they create about a situation are actually coming from their emotion. And so if I'm feeling scared and my mind is making up stories about what's going to happen or even making up stories about myself, I keep myself looping in the emotional experience rather than actually just coming into presence with the sensations of the experience without trying to figure it out or interpret why I feel the way I do, just really allow myself to feel the way I do. So is it, that's really fascinating, isn't it? Because that's how the brain kind of switches between the primitive limbic system of fight, flight, fear, get away from the tigers, mm -hmm. uh, but not really thinking. There's no time to think. If you took the time to rationalize and work something out, you'd be eaten, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so so there's, there's this interplay and balancing always between, um, you know, I should really think about which direction I'm going in before I run. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's, it's such an important point. And I think most people don't realize that the vagus nerve, which really houses our nervous system response in relationship, isn't connected to our higher functioning. So when our nervous system is activated, our higher functioning actually shuts down and we really are in survival. And so to think through and to really have like conscious thoughts isn't isn't the way that we're designed as human beings. Yes. So, so, you know, a lot of practitioners I've spoken to, there seems to be a common thread of what works and a lot use the deep breathing techniques um, because that works with the vagus nerve and you get the blood circulation moving and more oxygen to the cells and to the brain, of course. 
And another good method is uh, drinking more water because the brain uses a lot of water and if it gets dehydrated, it starts to panic and then you can't think. Mm -hmm. And I found putting the magnesium in, um, in as a mineralized drinking water really helps a lot because the presence of electrolytes um, uh, stimulates the electrical activity in the brain so that we can think better um, and we're not um, a prisoner to that fight or flight that we can make better decisions mm -hmm. and it gives us the ability magnesium to relax because mm -hmm. it calms down the vagus nerve and so only in a relaxation state can we do many things like um, rest and recover detox mm -hmm. uh, rebuild build new tissue all those rest and repair mechanisms happen during the relaxation phase Mm -hmm. and not during fight or flight when mm -hmm. we we can't digest food when we're in that hyper adrenaline phase mm -hmm. and that's that's another big problem digestive issues happening a lot with people and then there's this feedback loop with the vagus nerve because if the gut is out of order it and the, all the stress and it, it kind of squeezes and restricts and things aren't flowing and moving you know you can get gut disorders and constipation and and um you know if you're not removing your waste that then causes more stress on the system and so it's a self-perpetuating negative feedback loop mm -hmm. and so we need to get body mind and soul working together i found and <laughs> you can't just treat one system and ignore the others Mm -hmm. So that's what's fascinating about what you do, especially when you bring in the spiritual transformation aspect, because sometimes people get so stuck and so drop so low and get to the bottom that nothing is working and they don't know how to reach out to anyone. And so I've found that um, reaching out and saying a prayer and knowing that there is a higher power in the spiritual universe that is the creator power. And we are a product of that creator power. And like when you when you create something like a child, for instance, you love that child. You love all of your creations because you've made them. So I feel that there's this almost like a parental guiding force that when you ask for help, you get it. And sometimes people don't think of asking for help until there's no other options and they've really crashed right to the bottom and that's it. And it's, you know, there's nothing left. Uh, I think we should learn to go within, as you said, and connect with that higher source a lot earlier to prevent serious crashes. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a lot here. Um, in part, the the subtle energy of our system overlaps with the vagus nerve. So the energy centers or chakras as they're referred to overlap in so many ways with the vagus nerve. And so listening to the way that our energy is actually being held in those areas can offer us a lot of information and insight into where our transformation can begin to unfold. Um, you know, and I, I love I love asking asking for guidance from sources and um, from our source of vitality and our source of life. I also think that um, daily devotional practices where we're really anchoring into the essence of who we are and being very intentional about where we want to live from really trains our mind to either continue to 
believe the ordinary mind, the conditioned self, or to remember the essence of who we are as who we truly are, the true self. And so, um, you know, when we're asleep to the true self, when we're asleep to who we really are, we believe everything that we think. And we can feel really small and powerless and like there's not a solution and that other people are the problem and that we, you know, can start sabotaging our own health because we are we're feeling so limited in in our experience of life. And so daily devotional practices of really reminding ourselves of our alignment um, with the source that beats our heart is what I refer to as our spiritual essence. Um, because for me, it really gets to the vitality of our essence and allowing our vital force to move through us in, a, in the way of health as we are designed truly. Um, really, really does make a big difference. I want to say too that the breath is the only part of the autonomic nervous system that we have conscious control over. So as you mentioned that, you know, people talk a lot about the breath and how absolutely essential it is to our sense of well-being. I think where people start to get a little confused with nervous system regulation is that if I'm breathing to try to make my experience go away or to change it, I'm actually a threat to my nervous system. So if I want to breathe in a way that's conscious and loving, like if, if each breath I took was in service of self-care, self-love, how would I be breathing, right? So to be really nonviolent with ourself is essential to nervous system regulation. I see people all the time trying to regulate their nervous system by like pulling in the breath in this really like harsh way, but it's really about the validation and the love and the gentleness with ourself where our, um, where we become a safe place for ourselves. Yes. F flowing, flowing with it instead of against the tide. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, so you mentioned before about um, programs and, things that aren't true to self because we live in a world with a lot of fiction uh, and a lot of wrong ideas, not the ideas that don't serve us, that don't promote good health and happiness and abundance in thinking. We have limiting uh, reinforcement in the world, in the, in the, in the media, in um, yes, sort of out, out there in the world, um, we get messages all the time, we're not good enough. And, and this can be carried forward from previous generations because, you know, a few generations ago it was okay to hit children and that's how you brought them up and turned them into something better. <laughs> and then we, we end up with scars being carried forward epigenetically of mm -hmm. I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, it's never enough, um, um, they don't love me, um, all of those kind of ideas which are not, true to self because and so this is a stumbling block and this could have something to do with self-sabotaging um behaviors because if if you have a disconnect between you know you intellectually know that you are worthy and you're a good person and you know you you deserve this and this and and then you have the power you know you can take all that on intellectually but if you haven't connected it with the emotion of it then it's self-sabotaging because the old program wins in that battle in that competition doesn't it 
Yeah, I mean, so many of our self-sabotaging thoughts are actually seated in the past. Like if I was really, really present with what's happening right now, without creating a story about myself, then I would be fully resolved with the past and also very clear on what I believe, on how I feel, on what I want, on my power, without taking on other people's ideas and making them about me. Right. And so this is where clear, healthy boundaries and autonomy really is expressed or not expressed. And so if we're not in the practice of self-inquiry, of self-awareness, of practices of self-love and self-compassion, we start to cling to ideas that actually cause us harm. And we believe these misbeliefs about ourselves simply because they're familiar. And then that starts to guide the behaviors that we do that keep us feeling small and, and powerless and in pain. Which is very restrictive. And so um, there are certain people who are have a predator mentality and they like to control others. Mm -hmm. And in order to control them, they have to make them believe that they are the prisoners and they can't get out of that trap and that mm -hmm. they, they need that controlling element to survive. And so if people buy into that idea, it's not truthful. Then mm -hmm. there's a disconnect and their inner self um, is struggling to match up the two ideas because they, they don't um, correspond to the truth. So there's always an inner friction. There's always a frustration. Do you find that sometimes that bubbles up and people can then explode or they don't really know why they're reacting, but the emotion just can't be suppressed and bottled up anymore. And, and it usually would have something to do with control in their lives, in their relationships. So anytime that we think that we need to control the world around us to have a sense of safety within us, we've actually given our power to a source outside of ourselves, to other people. So now other people are, are the seat of our sense of safety. And that's always going to be a trap. Or right? government, or government. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. and so similar to what I was saying before, it's like the fight flight response can often be expressed through the personality as narcissistic traits, where the freeze fawn response of nervous system regulation can be seen through codependent traits, right? And so when the person when trauma is expressed in the personality, then the person starts believing that they need to use these strategies for survival. And if they stop using those strategies, then what, right? It's like the strategies are well-worn grooves. They've been using them for so long and it's hard to see alternative options yeah. on the menu. Like the devil, devil you know, rather than the devil you right. don't. <laughs> right, even though, it, even though they, they might know that the strategies cause them pain and distress and disconnection and conflict in their relationships, finding a different, truer way really requires that we look within deepen into our capacity to be available for ourselves and create a secure connection with ourselves, be a secure base for ourselves, rather than try to have other people be the secure base for us. So that our sense of safety really comes from honoring ourselves, making room for our experience, validating our emotions, even if our thoughts aren't 
true, especially when it's coming from an emotional state, the emotion beneath the thought is always valid. And so by it, the paradox here is that the more able a person can, can validate their experience, the less they believe it. The less they're invested in, in, having, in having that experience be the ultimate truth, because it's the mind that wants to make it the ultimate truth. Yes, and that requires a lot of trust, that kind of change, to change those deep grooves. You have to trust in the process of change and that is possible and that it can be done. And it's a very realistic expectation. Uh, and, and being able to walk out on that limb into the unknown in a sense, isn't it? Well, it's interesting though, because I even think that like apprehension is valid. Like you don't even need trust to try. You just need to meet yourself with whatever is there. So if there's apprehension and fear and a, a lack of trust, just being with that in a really loving way is the entry point. Yeah, I like the way you said just being there with it. Because when I did the Vipassana meditation course, a lot of the training and exercises was just uh, noticing sensations in the body. You know, that little bit of tickle or it's warm over there or just noticing the breath in and out because that allows you to step back and detach a little bit and realize that your body is a machine and it has an auto autonomic system and your mm -hmm. heart keeps beating even though you mentally don't tell it to and mm -hmm. things keep working and you can observe it like you're observing almost somebody else mm -hmm. and that gives you a little bit more of an objective view rather than being caught in the middle in a subjective space and not seeing where any direction is or what's happening you can't look at it uh, as a holistic thing yeah I call I call that observer awake awareness it's the part of us that's awake and free and liberated. And it's really our most, most resourced self. Like when we can really witness the sensation, witness our experience from awake awareness, we're fully available for what's happening inside of us. The mind has this tendency to cling and grip or resist. I don't want to feel this way or feeling this way means everything about me. Or the very, two ways. very primary and primitive, isn't it? Yes, yes. Without, without much curiosity, right? Because curiosity really takes a higher functioning. Yes. Well, that's creative. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that's, that's what I found was enhanced with the meditation to creative capacity, to download yeah. new ideas, to break out and break free and do something different that mm -hmm. works because mm -hmm. when you tap into that creative capacity, that involves a lot of intuition mm -hmm. and suddenly you're connected with something greater than just your old programs mm -hmm. and, and something that works with the heart. Cause you know, people I think um, have struggle with understanding what feelings are when you talk about emotions, you know, is that something you feel in the heart? Is that something the brain generates? Um, so when we feel fear, that's not a heart felt uh, emotion because the heart is very good at loving and where there is love, there is no fear. So um, how do you explain to people or teach them the difference in emotions and how to manage the good ones to to 
prevent the bad ones from taking over? You know, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I don't qualify any emotion as good or bad. I really see um, like it's the mind that that thinks that some emotion should go away and some can keep. And actually, even a positive emotion disowned can come out sideways. So if somebody's feeling joy and they don't actually know how to make room for it, it can come out as mania. Somebody who has love and don't doesn't actually know how to make room for it in an owned way, the mind can make it into an obsession. So it's emotion is separate from thought, which is separate from sensation, but even though they are also all connected. And there are five basic human emotions, um, fear, love, joy, grief slash sadness, and anger. And so there's like each one has a continuum of, of how they can become expressed. But when we think about emotion as like, as the emotional body rather than um, the physical body or the mental body. The emotional body has its own quality to it that um, really honestly offers so much wisdom. So for example, if, if I'm feeling angry, my anger has a wisdom. It's important and it's, it has a lot of information to offer me. It's a reason. Yeah, there's a reason that I would feel angry, right? And if I was owning that anger um, in a really loving, conscious way with self-awareness, without trying to blame somebody else for my anger or resent somebody else, but really honoring that anger is just here inside of me. Anger is the great boundary setter. It's the motivation for change. There's so much beauty and power in anger. And, And if I think that anger is bad and try to make it go away, then I'm actually thwarting my life force. It's really about allowing it to express through me in a way that's, that's healthy. So, so is that more like a message? So your mind is giving you a message. Something needs to be fixed. There's a problem. There's a friction because to become angry, there's a pressure, the pressure between two opposing ideas, something that should have happened, didn't happen basically. And there's a pressure between them. So there's a, a puzzle to solve there's an issue to balance out there's there's something to fix so mm-hmm. so it's really more or less a symptom that we need to be looking at something and modifying or changing or you know to get back to balance right yeah i mean when i'm working with my clients and there's any emotion really one of the questions that i love to ask them while their eyes are closed and they're in their experience of what's happening for them is what does this emotion need from you and this is really how we start to come towards solution and to come back into alignment with our spiritual self is that the solution lives inside of us and we have Anything that we want outside of us, we have inside of us. All the answers are there. <laughs> Anything I require, I can also provide, right? <laughs> and, yeah. What and a so- great tool. What a great tool. If you know how to use it, and I think that's the whole point, learning how to use the mind that we've been given to to be our own, um, yeah, as you said, solution. If we know mm-hmm. how to use it, it gives us the answers because we can connect with that greater cosmos, with the mm-hmm. with the greater power and, and information out there. Mm-hmm. Everything, every answer is available if we know how to ask, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is where those daily practices that we were talking about before really matter. Because if I 
if I'm committed to my mindfulness meditation or um, whatever practice that I is my greatest resource every single day, then the moment something happens where it seems like the rug has been pulled from outside of me or I'm feeling less resourced, I have that anchor into connecting with myself and with my higher consciousness as my home base from which to come back to, which, you know, to move from and come home to. Wow. That sounds like um, a really good philosophy and a good strategy. And we need to um, spread the spread the word so people learn how to use that tool better. And they can read your book and they can also go to your website. How do they connect with you if they want to learn more? Yeah, my newest book is called Align, Living and Loving from the True Self. And it just came out this last November, just a few months ago. And um, my my website is the spirituallyaligned.com and I have a lot of um, free courses on there for um, individuals and for therapists um, and coaches because it's a coach training center also, but um, like spiritually aligned relationships and living your alignment and the meditation course. That's nice. Yes, we need to teach a lot more people <laughs> so we don't have to wait too long to get help and we need each other don't we it's something that that um we can go so far on our own but we're not meant to be islands you know uh, uh, you know marooned on an island we are here to have relationships because it teaches us more about ourselves i find that we when we bounce off one another we see more of who we are and that's the whole point of being here we're learning Mm -hmm. our truth our inner self Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I wish I would have learned a long time ago that relationships are supposed to be a resource, not a drain. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Me too. Me too. It's just taken me a lifetime. Mm-hmm. Been a big puzzle. Mm-hmm. But you eventually get there, as you said, with the right intention. And mm-hmm. all the answers are there when you learn to ask the right way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's so lovely to have had this discussion with you. I'm sure a lot of people will get a huge amount out of it. And thank you, Harmony. Is there any one last thing you want to say to people before we finish? I I want to encourage people to really um, listen to this advice that you offered before about using the elements as a resource. So the breath, minerals, plenty of water, even sitting by the fire, taking a bath, like really using and communing with natural resources to create an internal balance, because that is really where we come back into the rhythm of health. Yes. Relax, recharge and recover. Mm -hmm. On that note, thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. I hope you like this conversation and will share it with others. Hear more from Body Charge on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher and wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to our newsletter to get updates on blogs, podcasts, videos and magnesium special offers at electromagnesium.com.au. Relax, recharge and recover.